Uh, Let's open up our Bibles today. Uh, Start in Acts chapter 2. We've been doing this series about the purpose of church and talking about that. You know, Jesus did his life here on earth, perfect, Uh, began his public ministry about 30 years old, went out and taught and did miracles, called together a group of followers uh, who were the most, you know, dedicated from the beginning, and uh, he died and rose from the dead, and throughout his ministry, he was investing in these people, pouring into them, teaching them, so that when he rose from the dead, he spent another 40 days with them, trying to teach them a few extra things, uh, and then he left. And he told them, he said, guys, go back into town and wait for my helper who's going to come, which he told them was going to be the Holy Spirit. And so they went back into town, and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, and they ended up waiting 10 days. They didn't know at the beginning it would be 10 days. They just knew they had to wait an indefinite amount of time until the Holy Spirit showed up. And well, then the Holy Spirit came, and they felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. They, they saw the Holy Spirit in, in you know, a, a, a vision of, of uh, fire flying through the air, and uh, they were all gifted with the ability to speak in other languages. And so they thought, well, we can talk in other languages. There's a bunch of people in town who speak other languages, so that just means we need to go tell those other people in their language about Jesus. And so they ran out in the street, and they started telling all these people about Jesus. And in that process, Peter speaks up above everybody, and he gives a sermon. That's the big, biggest chunk there of Acts chapter 2. And uh, he shares the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved in one day. And so they had the disciples, who were 120 at that point, and then you had these 3,000 people got saved. And so, you, so at that point, day one, the church began with a membership of 3,120. And they didn't have any preconceived notions about how church was supposed to be. I mean, even today, if you walk into a church, and you'd never walked into a church your entire life, you would still kind of have an idea of how church, you know, operates just from TV and movies or just background, whatever you've got, or if you've been in church your whole life, you've got preconceived notions about how church was growing up and how it's been and traditions that are traditionally held and things you just don't do. You know, you don't drink in the sanctuary, even though the preacher brings tea and water in the sanctuary every Sunday. It's okay to bring coffee and stuff in the sanctuary here. That's fine. Don't worry about that. We're not, you know, it doesn't matter here. But some people have these ideas and thoughts and processes. Um, uh, we don't necessarily hold to those because if it doesn't say it in the Bible, it doesn't say, you know, don't come in the sanctuary and don't spill coffee on the green pews. It doesn't, I don't know where it says that in your Bible, but it doesn't say it in mine, so don't worry about it. Um, and, and these guys at the beginning didn't have any of this. Like, you're supposed to do church this way. And so they said, okay, well then how are we supposed to do church? Well, at the very end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47... They did five specific things, and that's what we've been looking at, these five things that they did. And if they did them at the beginning, we believe, then we should still be doing them today. And there were things like fellowship, discipleship, um, serving one another, uh, doing these things in in an investment in each other, spending time together, daily processes of what we're supposed to be doing, worshiping together. And so we've studied so far in these weeks up until now four of those things, and today we're getting to the last one, the fifth thing that they did. Acts chapter 2, starting down at verse 46. And if you have a Bible there on the rack and you grab that, it's on page 911. Uh, If you want to turn there, um, you can do that. It says, and day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, first off, I just want to point out, it's very fascinating here. It says there in verse 46, they were attending the temple. Now, remember, they just started this church. They didn't have a building. And they had 3,120 people. I don't know where even in Dequeen we would gather just on a weekly basis with 3,120 people. That's a pretty big gathering, no matter where you go. But it says here in that verse, they were doing it every single day. 3,120 people getting together every day to have church. So all that they can think of is, well, there's only one place in town that's big enough to hold us, and it's the Jewish temple. So these Christians go to the Jewish temple that's run by the priests who killed Jesus to have their church services. And this temple was massive. And so what, what they would do is they, they gathered in their large group, and they did small groups in homes, but they gathered in their large group in the temple in this section that was called Solomon's Portico. It was just this big covered area in the temple, and thousands of people would go to the temple every day. Well, this 3,120 people would just gather in this section of the temple. I mean, it wasn't all of it, and the temple was huge. Just in this one section, they would have their church services every single day in the Jewish temple, worshiping Jesus right there on the doorstep of the guys who killed him. Talk about boldness. And so they're doing this there, worshiping in the temple, gathering for their church services. Verse 47, they were praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now it's that last sentence we want to focus on. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. He's talking about people getting saved, right? People coming to salvation every single day. You say, well, it doesn't say in there. You know, we're going to be talking about people sharing the gospel today. It doesn't say in that verse that people are sharing the gospel. Well, how do you think those people heard about Jesus? How do you think those people came to know Jesus every single day. Because the Christians were out there sharing him. The Christians were out there telling people. And so because they were doing that, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All that the Lord needs in our lives is just a willing people to go and do for him. He's got a willing people there in Acts chapter 2. They go out and they share the gospel. People getting saved left, right, and center. They're bringing people to Jesus every day. They're going out every day and they're fishing for souls every day. Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do? Who does he want me to interact with today? And because they were out there fishing for these souls every day, they saw the Lord do some incredible things. Incredible. And we've seen here the Lord do incredible things. I mean, I wish you could have seen Wednesday night with the truckload of youth who kept coming out of the sanctuary. It was like a clown car. They just kept coming out and coming out. And then Jared walks out of here with his face glowing and says that these kids got saved Wednesday night. It is, uh, you know, it, it, no matter how many times we see it, we've seen the Lord do some amazing things. And it continues to happen every single day if we just keep our eyes open. Well, these people here next to, they saw the Lord do some amazing things. Uh, as they are out there fishing for souls, as they are out there bringing people to Jesus. And that's probably why Jesus made such a point to compare sharing the gospel to fishing. He made a very specific point about it on a couple of occasions. You know, fishing and bringing people to Jesus, neither one of those things can really be simplified to a formula. 
Like you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to do it this one way in this exact same spot every single time, and it's going to produce the exact same results every single time. Because if you've ever shared the gospel, it's never the same every single time you do it. Each person is different. Each interaction is different. Each response is different. And the same with fishing. It's different every single time you go fishing. It's never the same. You can go to the same spot every same time, use the same bait or lure, whatever you're fishing for. You're not going to get the same results every time. Right, Charles? It's going to be different results when you go fishing, right? Right. Some days you get a bunch. Some days you get nothing. Some days you get one or two. You never know. Charles fishes a lot. If you want tips on fishing, ask Charles. One of the best days since we've been here in New Queen is when Charles showed up at my house with a bag full of uh, uh, fish that he'd already cleaned. Thank you so much. That was so nice. And uh, fishing and sharing the gospel can't be reduced to some type of formula. Every day is different. Every fish is different. Uh, you have to use a different spot. You've got to use a different method. Um, and you've you got to change it up uh, each and every time. You know, there was one time uh, we went fishing, our family, and we were with some cousins and uh, my in-laws, and we were fishing at this lake. We'd gotten some fishing poles, um, and, and, and I mean, fresh, we'd unwrap, you know, we'd pulled them out of the package, put them together. We were fishing out this lake, and everybody was, uh, the kids were all fishing different spots, but we only had two fishing poles, and there were a lot more kids. I mean, even we have a lot more than two kids, but they were out there fishing, and so we used these fishing poles, and then everybody else got to just use stick with fishing line on the end. Anybody ever been just pole fishing just with a stick? There you go. It's a different experience, um, uh, and so the, the, the kids who were using the fishing poles would try to, you know, cast as far out in the lake as you could. Or they would get one of the adults, okay, just chunk it, chunk the line out there as far as you could throw it and just let me hold it. And so we would do that. They'd do it, but the ones who had the stick with the line on it just had to drop the line by the dock because that's as far as it would go. Um, and so we would pop worms on these, these hooks and they'd drop it in the water. Uh, they didn't put worms on the hooks. That was me and my father-in-law's job was the worms on the hook. None of them wanted to do that. Um, and so they would sit there, have the bobbers on the line and, and just waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, they'd reel it in, trying to teach them. You can't just throw it out there and reel it in as fast as possible. That's not going to work. You have to throw it out to certain parts. Yeah, that's a good spot over there. And you got to reel it in slow, let it sit, reel it in a little more, let it sit. You got to, it's got to, you know, you can't just let it just uh, get out there and bring it back. Uh, uh, you got to kind of manipulate the fish a little bit. And so we're out there for a little bit, sweating. And uh, we hear some noise. I was out on the end of the dock helping them toss it out as far as they, whatever they wanted it. And we hear some noise behind us. And we turn around, and, and one of the kids, um, it, Reagan, had one of the poles with just the, the stick with the line on it. He whips it out of the water because the line wasn't very long, and he's just dropping it next to the dock. He's got a fish just flopping on the end of that line. And so we, you know, unhook the fish and drop him in a different spot. He's all excited. All the other kids like, oh, now we're reinvigorated. We're going to catch more fish. And so they're tossing wherever they're tossing and dropping wherever they're dropping. And time, a little bit of time goes by, and Ray pops another one right on that same stick. Oh, I got one. That day, he was the only one to pop fish, and it was on a stick with line. You see, no matter how good your tools are, sometimes you're fishing in the wrong spot. Even if you're fishing in the wrong spot, you don't just give up because you didn't find anything in 15 minutes. You wouldn't be much of a fisherman if you gave up quick. Even if you went out for a whole day and found nothing, you wouldn't be much of a fisherman if you didn't go out the next day. Fishermen don't quit. You've got to come back and see. Some days they just don't bite. 
You just don't know. You've got to keep trying. And with Jesus, he wanted to instill that kind of principle in his disciples, you know, that, like I said in there in Acts, Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number every day. That doesn't, like I said, doesn't mean that he just hand-delivered all these people to be saved. The, the disciples had to go out and share the gospel. They had to do the work. They had to go fishing. Because if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach someone to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And so that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples in the course of his ministry and in the course of the 40 days after he rose from the dead. He was teaching his disciples how to fish. He was trying to instill in them the principles of fishing. And honestly, that's probably why the first guys he called to be his disciples were fishermen. Let's look at that. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. It's on page 860 if you're going to use the Bible on the rack there. Luke chapter 5. Jesus has been doing ministry just, just for a little bit. And we have a very interesting interaction here in Luke 5. He hasn't called his disciples to him and said, hey, you're my disciples now. But he's about to. In Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now that's the Sea of Galilee. You know, it's got different names depending on what language you're speaking or what part of the region you're from. from. Uh, and Luke here writing this calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. But it's the Sea of Galilee. And he said Jesus shows up there one day and he's teaching. But as he's teaching, there's so many people gathered around him, pressing in on him. that like the people in the back can't hear what he's saying. And, and I mean, just, a, just picture hundreds of people, possibly thousands of people, trying to get close to him to get a better spot to hear. And the people in the back can't elbow their way close enough to be able to hear his voice. And so, verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So we know, first thing, this is morning, early morning. Fishermen on the Sea of Galilee went out and they fished at night and they would come in. So they had just come in, they would pulled their nets out, they were washing their nets. And Jesus sees two of the boats right there by where he is. No coincidence though in why he's there. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, I love this, because it doesn't say that Jesus hopped in the boat, or asked to get in the boat, it just says Jesus got in the boat. He just stepped into Simon's boat, says, hey Simon, just, just push it out a little bit for me. He didn't say, will you, can I, can I borrow your boat for a little bit? He just says, hey, push it out for me, and, and Simon does. And uh, Jesus sits down in the boat and teaches them from the boat. Now, there's several places around the Sea of Galilee where this would have worked out perfect, the way uh, uh, the, sea, the, the lake was and the shore was. It would have been perfect for his voice to project and everybody sitting there be able to hear what he's saying. He just wanted to get some distance from the people so the guys in the back could hear what he's saying. And he teaches them. It's also interesting to note, it doesn't say how long he taught them. Almost always in Scripture, when Jesus teaches, we don't know how long he does it. One, I mean, uh, the, when he feeds the 5,000 is one of the, my favorite deals because, you know, he doesn't feed the people and then teach them. It says he taught them all day long. Didn't give them a lunch break. Didn't give them a bathroom, bathroom break. I mean, there weren't bathrooms, but he said the tree. But he didn't give them any kind of break. He just taught all day long. And his disciples came and interrupted him and said, Jesus, these people are hungry. You haven't let them eat. 
They didn't bring snacks. Let them go and get some food. You see, Jesus sometimes teaches a long time, sometimes teaches a short time. Here we don't know. We just know he's sitting in Simon's boat, and Simon is probably in the boat because they were cleaning their nets, took a break, let Jesus do his deal. Jesus teaches them from the boat. Look at verse, uh, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I learned some things about this that I had never known before. In Scripture, there's several different Greek words for nets. And uh, this is a different one than some of the other ones that are used. Um, and being, fishing here on the Sea of Galilee coming in from night, they used specific nets for night fishing. And they would usually fish close to shore on the Sea of Galilee. And so their nets would be specifically designed to fish close to shore, shallow waters. And now Jesus tells Simon, all right, we're going to go out to the deep. And you're going to put your nets in the deep. But Simon, having come in from fishing at night, would have had shallow water nets. Knowing that you don't fish in the deep in the Sea of Galilee. There's not fish in the deep in the Sea of Galilee. But here's this guy, Jesus, who we think has already had at least some sort of interaction with Simon. says, go out to the deep water and put your shallow water nets out there in the daytime. I mean, just imagine for a second being Simon. You having fished for decades and decades and decades. Possibly your father and your grandfather were fishermen for decades and decades and decades, teaching you the tricks of the trade. And here comes this carpenter that you met once, who's got no fishing experience that you think, and he says, all right, go out to the deep water, take your shallow water nets and go out there and fish. I think you might say, well, I don't have the right equipment for that. <laughs> like, These are the wrong kind of nets. And you don't do that in the Sea of Galilee because, I mean, anybody who knows the Sea of Galilee knows you don't fish there, you fish here because there's no fish over there. We, people have tried that. There's nothing there. And the fish aren't awake in the daytime in the Sea of Galilee. That's not the way it works. But Simon doesn't respond that way. Simon Peter, with all of his, his experience and expertise, look at what he says. I mean, he kind of does give a little pushback. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. I don't know about your translation, but mine has an exclamation point there, like emphasizing his point. We didn't catch anything. Thanks for rubbing it in, Jesus. Then he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Almost as though, I mean, again, you can't read tone in what he's saying. I, I can only say what I would say. Maybe it would be like, fine, just because you want to, let's take it out there, and I'll prove to you there's no fish to be caught in the daytime in the deep water in the Sea of Galilee with shallow water nets. And so they go out there. Simon, though, before he, you know, gave permission to go do this, he really tried to give his expert opinion to educate Jesus. We worked all night long and took nothing. The fish aren't biting today, Jesus. There's no fish. To, they're just not having it. Something stirred them up. There's no fish. It's just not going to work today. This is a fruitless attempt. But he still says, but fine, we'll go and try it. Have you ever had an attitude like that? Like you, you say, I know it's not going to work, but I'll do it anyway. Or have you ever had a kid who's had that attitude like that? Like, fine, and it's not, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen, but I'll do it because you're telling me to do it. I mean, I, I doubt Peter had that kind of tone, but it still presents itself in that fashion. As always saying, 
I know this is, this, there's no results going to come from this. This is a waste of my time. I should be sleeping right now so I can get up tomorrow, get up tonight and go out and fish and do this. But instead, I'll do what you want, rabbi, master, because you're telling me to do this. And yet, in our own lives, do we ever respond like that to Jesus? Like we get a feeling or maybe a, a word that he wants us to do something specific. And we have this inner conversation in our mind trying to explain to the Holy Spirit why what he told us to do won't work. Like maybe he's, he's told you to tithe a certain something and you, say, and you try to explain, that's not gonna work, Jesus. I, I, I know the balance sheet, I know the, the, the spreadsheet and our budget, it's not gonna work. Maybe he's told you to share the gospel with a family member you've talked to Jesus before, about before. It's not going to work. I've tried it. It's not going to work. I'm not going to go down that road. That was months and months of pain. I'm not going to do it. Maybe he's told you to give something up that you just won't give up. And you try to explain to him why that's a bad idea. Maybe you just don't outright say you're telling Jesus what to do. But sometimes it's just an inner resistance. Maybe if I just distract myself, I'll binge watch this other thing and maybe that'll leave my mind. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't have to you know, process what he's telling me to do because I just don't want to think about what the implications of that are. And so whether or not we just outright like Simon say, yeah, that's not going to work or it's just a uh, ignoring him situation, sometimes we all do this. We all tend to do this from time to time. I mean, what do we end up saying? Or honestly, do we ever end up, after having this discussion or argument with Jesus, do we end up giving in and just doing the thing? And then we realize all along it was way better if we just gave it up, if we gave the money, or if we gave up the thing that he was asking us to sacrifice, or if we took that other job, or if we went down this other road, or if we did share the gospel with that person. And we realize maybe Jesus really knows what he's talking about. Maybe he really knows what he's doing. Tony Evans says it this way. Tony Evans said, We have to remember that our instincts and experience have been distorted by sin. We can't see things perfectly. We lack the information. Our understanding is flawed. That's why we depend on an almighty God who is all-knowing and can accomplish the impossible. So when we try to present an argument to Jesus, even if it makes complete sense in our minds, we're arguing from a place of sin. We're arguing from a place of not being able to see the whole situation. Even if it makes, you know, it, it, the reason is all there, uh, it, you know, it balances on the spreadsheet, it makes sense to us, but we don't see everything he sees. And it comes down to the question of do you trust Jesus or not? It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may not make sense in the now. It may not even make sense for years or even until we get to heaven. But do we trust him or not? And so that's what Tony Evans was saying. You've got to trust him. And even though Peter argued with Jesus to begin with, he said, okay, let's go do it. It's my expert opinion, Jesus, but I'll do what you say. And what's great is that Jesus ends up using Peter's experience but not to determine the how and the when of the fishing trip. Jesus is going to use Peter's experience, Peter's expert opinion, to display what a miracle this really is. Because Peter knows 
It's impossible to catch fish in the daytime, in the deep, in the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus says, okay, Peter, let's take what you know and let me show you what I can do. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, gone out to the deep, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now picture that. They go out to the deep with their shallow water nets where there shouldn't be in the daytime, where there shouldn't be any fish. And they get so many fish in their boat and they're pulling the fish out of the nets just to try to relieve the nets a little bit. And they're waving to their partners to come and hurry. And by the time they get there, they start dumping fish in that boat. And there's so many fish in the boat that the, 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 the rim of the boat is going below uh, the water level and water is coming onto the ships because they've got so much weight in there because of the fish. Have you ever caught that much fish that your boat was sinking? I've never seen that. But here they are with so many fish in their shallow water nets filling these boats that they are sinking. And Peter has a moment of realization that his expertise, his experience says this cannot happen. This is impossible. He says, there must be something else going on. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This kind of makes me think of Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was presented with the presence of God, and he says, oh, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. It, God's presence made him realize how flawed he was. Now, Peter here in this verse isn't saying, I mean, even though he says, depart from me from a sinful man, this is a, a, a saying, a type of saying. He's not really saying, Jesus, get away, get out of my boat. It's as though uh, he's saying, a holy one like you should not be near a sinner like me. It's as though he's saying, please. Holy Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's realizing whose presence he is really in. Look at verses 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, humanity people you will be catching them you just caught all these fish you didn't catch these fish because you could do it it's it, it, even think about it they went out without jesus and they caught nothing they go out with jesus and they catch so much they can't contain it in their, what they have in their possession and so jesus says this catching that you just did isn't where it's going to end you're going to catch way more than this and what's interesting too is that word that's used here for catching people catching men catching humanity this isn't what's often used when talking about fishing. That word means to catch for life. To catch for life. Not to catch, like for fishing, catch to kill and eat. But to catch to keep alive. To make more alive. He says, you're going to be catching in a whole new way. A way you've never caught before, Mr. Fisherman. You're going to catch for this. So look at what they did in response to these words of Jesus. From now on, you're going to be catching differently. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything 
and followed him. They left everything, all the things. They left them all. Everything they knew, everything that was familiar, everything that was secure, everything that was comfortable. They left their job. They left their plans. They left their financial control. What, you know, it's, I, I said a second ago, they left their security. They left the security of, of their community to go and follow Jesus, and they left their financial control, but they didn't leave their financial security. What, they, what you realize is when you leave your financial control to Jesus, you're going to find more financial security than you ever had before because it's not dependent on your control anymore. There's no financial security in your control, but there's eternal security in his control. And so they found far more security following an itinerant preacher who was Jesus than they did in daily going out trying to earn money from their fish. That doesn't mean you need to quit your job and just go and sit at home until Jesus comes. Paul speaks against that, actually. Um, but these guys, Jesus said, okay, I got a new job for you, a new calling on your life. And so they left Everything. And in reality, in order to follow Jesus, there has to be a leaving. There has to be a leaving. You can't follow Jesus and keep everything. You can't really follow Jesus and keep a tight control on anything. If you're really going to follow Jesus, you've got to let go and let him have it. It's as though you're, you're hanging on to something. Like, like Take, for instance, say this, this little table here. We're bolted to the ground. Or like every one of your pews is bolted to the foundation of the building. Try to move one, I promise you, you're going to have a problem. I almost threw up my back one time trying to move one of these pews. But if this were bolted to the ground, and I'm holding on to this, and if Jesus has my other hand, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not allowing him to take me anywhere, because I'm clinging to what I want to. I'm clinging to what I know. I'm clinging to what's right here, and I won't let him take me until I let go. And only when I leave it, can I go where he wants me to go? Can I do what he wants me to do? I've got to let him have it and say, okay, I don't know how this is going to work out, Jesus. I don't know what this means. But I'm going to let go. And these people let go and left everything, it says. Everything. All, the, anything they had, they left it. Now that, that is a, a motivation, that is a spirit. We know Peter still had a house there in Capernaum because that's where they came back and had their home base there sometimes. But he wasn't tied to that. That wasn't where his heart was in his house. It was wherever Jesus was. And so they left everything. Following Jesus means leaving everything. Following Jesus means leave, leaving everything. Now, I mean, I have those separated on purpose. That's not just bad English. I mean, they did leave everything, but they left everything behind. All the things they left behind because they didn't want to be tied to that stuff. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these disciples Jesus was calling, these fishermen that Jesus was calling, knew this truth. That if they kept their heart centered in their things, 
then they would never be able to go where Jesus wanted them to go. So they left all of it. Following Jesus means leaving everything, all the things, means setting them behind you, putting it all on the table and saying, whatever you have, whatever you want me to get rid of, I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's not tied to me. Nothing I own is essential. So I will trust that you will provide all of my needs and not letting your heart be tied to any of it. Any of it. But leaving everything does not mean leaving people behind. It doesn't mean leaving people behind. I mean, sometimes you do need some separation. Sometimes you do need to sacrifice something that is, that is toxic and detrimental to yourself and detrimental to the work of Christ. But it doesn't mean we leave them. Jesus didn't leave people. Jesus never left Judas. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Following Jesus isn't casting people aside. Following Jesus is bringing people to Jesus. Following Jesus is bringing them, is grabbing everybody we can and bringing them to Jesus. Following Jesus is leaving no one behind. Following Jesus is leaving everything, but it's also bringing everybody. Irregardless of who they are, irregardless of their background, irregardless of what they look like, irregardless of how they act, irregardless of if they keep doing that one thing over and over and over again and you're getting tired of this mess, you're getting tired of helping them, you're getting tired of, of offering more help. Following Jesus means bringing them to Jesus. Following Jesus means not forgiving Five times, six times, it means forgiving 70 times, seven times. Following Jesus does, means leaving every, does mean leaving everything. But it also means bringing everybody. Even the hard people, even the mean people, even the people who talk down to you, even the boss who just won't get off. Even if you want to go to that job and tell that boss where to get off. Maybe he's got you there to bring that boss to Jesus. And you're the only Jesus that person's ever going to see. Following Jesus means bringing everybody. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it doesn't feel good, even, even if it just makes you mad. Following Jesus means bringing everybody, every single body, and leaving nobody behind. No matter what they've done where they've been, how they've acted in the past, how they acted this morning. It means bringing every one of them to Jesus. You say, oh, but you don't know what they said. Mm. You don't know what they said, preacher. You don't know what they said about our church, preacher. You don't know what they said about you. They still need Jesus. I still need Jesus every day. So I've got to come to him every single day. I've got to bring myself to Jesus. Because I know me, and I know my heart, and I know I desperately need him. So we got to bring everybody, everybody to Jesus. There's nobody we should walk past in the, the, the spiritual journey of our lives and leave them behind and not bring them to Jesus. Paul, sitting in that Roman prison in the mess, the 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 gross mess of the guy who was in the prison cell before him. Paul didn't complain about the mess he was sitting in. His concern was for the guard who needed Jesus. 
Paul, it doesn't tell us, we know he was beheaded. I picture Paul sharing the gospel with the guy who's cutting his head off. Almost as though you're supposed to face down, Paul, so I can cut your head off. No, I'm going to face up so I can talk to you while this is going on. I just need to you know, tell you about Jesus real quick. I mean, okay, swing the axe. Okay, but Jesus saved you. Bringing everybody to Jesus. Every single person. You know what Paul said about bringing people to Jesus? In, in Colossians chapter 4, he calls this the best use of our time. Let's look at it. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. So look at what Paul, Paul's asking that we would pray for him, or the people he's writing to. Pray for me, he says, that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. This blows my mind. I mean, because we consider Paul to be maybe the greatest evangelist and missionary to ever live. And he's begging his friends in the city of Colossae to pray that he would be able to share the gospel better, that he would be able to share it in a more clear fashion as he's writing from prison. And look at what he says next. He says this, this idea of sharing the gospel. He says, now you, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know what you ought to answer each person. He's, again, here, still talking about sharing the gospel. Earlier he had said, pray for me that I can share it better, but now you, you need to be speak with grace in how you speak to people so that they can hear the gospel, receive the gospel, and pray that you will know how to answer every single person you encounter so they can hear the gospel, so they can receive the gospel. And as he said in the previous verse, that is the best use of your time. That is the best use of your time. Sharing the gospel, letting people know about salvation, bringing them to Jesus. Our time is best spent bringing everybody to Jesus we can. You know, and like I said at the beginning, that may be the very reason Jesus called so many fishermen to be his first disciples. Because fishermen have great patience and great perseverance. And no amount of unsuccessful days will prevent a true fisherman from going out tomorrow. There is no quit in a fisherman. And so he calls these fishermen and says, you're going to catch souls now. And you're going to go out and you're going to do it. And so he tells them in Matthew chapter 9, you need to pray for it said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Again, talking about salvation, talking about people who need to know Jesus. Uh, verse 38, he says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he's telling his disciples, this is in the training phase to his disciples, in the teaching them how to fish phase. He says, all right, first thing you got to do is pray that people would go out and share the gospel. And a lot of us are like, all right, I can do this part. I can, I, can tell, I can pray about people going out to share the gospel because sharing the gospel is hard and I don't want to go out and do it. He, he says, all right, first thing you got to do is, go out, is pray that people would go and tell other people about Jesus. But you know what he did five verses after this? Five verses after this, after he told his disciples, you pray about people going to tell people about Jesus. Five verses later, he sends these same disciples out to tell people about Jesus. He says, you pray about it, 
and then you go and do it. You pray about it and then go and do it. You be the answer to your own prayer. You pray about it and go and do it. Pray earnestly that this would happen and now I'm going to send you to go do it. And honestly, with us as followers of Christ, that's what he did with us with the Great Commission. Go and tell. Go and be my witnesses. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's a commission he gave all of us. Not just 11 people there at the end of Matthew chapter 28. That's a commission that's been laid on us to go and be fishermen. So what kind of fisherman are you? Are you one who has great patience and great persistence and never gives up and keeps going? Are you one who maybe quits after, you know, it gets hard one day and there's not many bites, not, no nibbles today? Or maybe you quit before you even start because and there's been days I, you know, you get fearful of the response and you get uncomfortable because, you know, you don't want to bring up Jesus at the cash register at the store. It's just kind of awkward and talking to one of my friends who's known me for years and bringing up Jesus to them and talking about Jesus on social media. Oh, and oh my goodness, they saw what I posted last week and now I'm going to talk about Jesus today. What are they going to say? Well, first off, don't post what you did the other day. Don't do that anymore. Talk about Jesus. I mean, imagine what Paul would do with Facebook today, you know, or Instagram or, or, or TikTok or whatever. What kind of fisherman are you? Or maybe ask yourself, who in your life right now is he sending you out to fish for? Who has he already put there for you to fish for? Who is, I mean, it's like you're standing on the dock. You can just drop the line in the water. He's already put them there for you. You just got to put the line in the water. Who has he already put within your immediate sphere, your circle of influence who needs to receive Jesus? And you're the one he's put there with the fishing pole and the bait. It's right here. Here it is. Gospel. Or maybe, just maybe, he put you in this room or watching this stream right now because he's fishing for you today. Maybe he's dropping the hook in the water for you today to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, even the ones in the back of your mind that nobody knows about. He died so that would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And all you have to do is believe it. You don't have to live a certain way. You don't have to be perfect from now until you die. Spoiler alert, you're not going to be. Probably going to sin between now and walk into small group here in a sec. But you have to believe. That's how the whole Bible ends, with an invitation. Come, all who are thirsty. All who need salvation, come. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you believe in Jesus today? He's fishing. Are you biting? Come to Jesus. See what he can do with just a few willing people. Even here in Duquesne, Arkansas.